0: This is David Harlan from Stillwater, Minnesota, and you're listening to the Minnesota Music Shakedown.
1: Welcome to episode number 34 of the Minnesota Music Shakedown, a podcast dedicated to spinning some of the best original Twin Cities and beyond area music. Featured this week are conversations and new music from Rockford Mules, Dave Harland, and Drew DeLakes. I'm your host, Mark Sterry. Check me out at marksterrymusic.com. And thank you for supporting live and local music.
2: Hey, this is Drew from the band The Lakes from Neptune, and this is the Minnesota Music Shakedown.
1: was the song laughing as a symbol by DeLakes? hear from drew later in the program next up the rockford mules talk about the new album the last camaro afterwards hear the song leave the dirt on ryan rude welcome to the minnesota music shakedown how's it going today there ryan
3: it is going very well thank you very much for having
1: us on so dude you're in your bass player's bedroom is or where are you at it's kind of his
3: office. i'm I'm guessing it's the place he gets banished to when his wife gets mad at him.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, that's pretty cool, man. Did you track your your uh, some your party record down there at all or no? Is it a studio area? no, we uh, uh
3: we tracked it at Pachyderm. Uh, if you're familiar with that place, it's I haven't of,
1: heard that in a, a long time.
3: I, th- I think what a lot of people can relate it to is uh, Nirvana did their uh, in utero in utero record there
1: in Cannon Falls, right?
3: Back. yes, yes, yes.
1: and um, like the band live recorded there. I know Zeller recorded there, solo sound, like pretty much ever recorded there. It's a very famous studio.
3: Yeah, yeah. So we got an opportunity to do that. We kind of uh, hold up there for a weekend. We've got a really nice uh like house that you stay in and then the studio is next door. So we got in on a Thursday night, just relaxed, and Friday we got up and recorded all day, and then we went back to the house and relaxed, and then Saturday we got up and recorded some more, and it was just really a it's a very cool experience because you're allowed to, you know, like totally immerse yourself in what you're there to do. You know, you're not going home to you know as 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 much as I love my wife and kids, you know, you're not going home to other responsibilities like you're there for a weekend simply to make music. So it was very, very cool. And then we mixed, I actually mixed the record in my basement. Cool. So
1: cool, man. Yeah. yeah it, it been, uh, fun to be a fly on the wall back in the old Pachyderm days. My old guitar player, Dan Neal, used to tell me stories about the Cannonball uh, when it was that breakfast joint gas station breakfast place. You walk in there and there's Kurt Cobain sitting there next to (laughs) whomever, Dave Perner and who knows what what's true and what's not true, but I'd been to that restaurant a number of times. I think it's no longer with us. It could be a McDonald's or something right now since Cannon Falls, I think you can just zip right through it now, but uh, that would have been kind of cool. Does it still have that old Neve board that John Lennon used too?
3: I'm not sure. If they did, I didn't see it.
1: All right. So, when did you start writing? Oh, say, so first of all, so it's the Rockford Mules. Your new record is called The Last Camaro. Can you tell us a, about yep. your band, the Rockford Mules, a little bit? Who was in it? Uh, when, how long have you been rocking out?
3: Oh, wow. Um, we've been a band just about 20 years now. So, we got together uh, the drummer, myself, and Eric, the uh, singer, uh, played in a band previously. Uh, like back in the 90s, and uh, Craig, our bass player, played in a different band, but we played shows together quite a bit. And then time goes by, and about 2005, Eric and I, who have been making music together for about uh, 35 years, pushing that almost since high school, really, just dated myself there a little bit. But um, yeah, 2005 came around, and I just moved back from Seattle, and uh, we just Got the gang back together and uh, put some records out, played a lot of shows, and we took some time off. Uh, oh, God. we took about maybe four years off, three, four years. We just wanted to go and do some other things. And then I'd say maybe about a year and a half ago, two years ago, we started getting that itch. It's it's, it's like you send up the bat signal, you know? <laughs> it's like, hey, what are you guys doing? I uh, got together, started writing some songs, and... Um, just it's it's amazing how how quickly you fall back into familiar patterns next thing you know we we're, we're going in and making a record and having a release show and it's like what the hell just happened
1: you know I have a my current bass player is from Rockford, Illinois. where'd you get the name of the Rockford uh, Mules? He is embarrassed by it
3: <laughs> uh it's it, it Eric came up with it he's usually the the band name guy. And uh it he just he just likes phrases that sound kind of cool together. It doesn't really mean anything, so to speak. I think the the, the thought process for him was kind of coming up with a name that um, can encompass a lot of different things. you know what I mean um you know, mules is kind of gritty I think of a just kind of a, a worn, and then that's kind of, our music is kind of like that. It's kind of, it's it's gritty and it's it's got a worn feel to it. And
1: I agree, kind of like mules. Yeah. <laughs> so when I play I play music four or five nights a week. I mostly perform like blues, rock and roll, funk, that kind of stuff. But I'm a huge <laughs> metalhead. And there was a while ago I was into a uh, like kind of skater metal too. And I just want to ask you quick before we keep going. So you played with Fu Manchu the band. We uh not in the
3: band, but we we did do he a open for
1: them. him or yeah. something. I love yes. Fu Manchu. Can you tell me just about yeah. that quick just because I'm a fan?
3: Uh golly, I wish I I wish I had a more interesting story to tell. Uh to be honest, we didn't uh at least I didn't. I don't know if some of the other guys did, but I didn't uh I don't remember talking to them. Uh I remember their show and their show obviously was incredible. Just a gigantic wall of sound, you know. And uh um, Where I, was it, kinda, uh, it was a place called the Triple Rock here in Minneapolis that no longer is uh is up and running. So yeah.
1: I've been there a number of times, absolutely. So yeah. um I'm gonna ask you about a few of the songs on the record, and you can you tell me about yeah. like the story behind some of the songs, how you tracked them, that kind of deal. So off the last sure. Camaro, how about track number one, that gallopy kind of catchy rocker called Leave the Dirt on? Can you tell the story behind that song? Uh-huh sure
3: um uh like a like all of our songs really it, it kind of just starts with one of us playing something and um i just started kind of playing around with that riff that it, that it starts with and then you know eric it's it's the first song that he's never actually played guitar on he mans the maracas in that one and uh it just kind of it just kind of you know, you you hit on something and you just keep playing it. And next thing you know, Joel is playing along and Craig jumps in and it just becomes this thing. And next thing, it's like a it's like a lump of clay. You start whittling it down, and next thing you know, we just kind of had this foot stomper that uh, <laughs> you you never really know where they come from. They just kind of show up. You know,
1: um, what kind of bands do you think would encompass your references on this record?
3: oh man um the funny thing is is the four of us all come from really different musical influences so you, what you're hearing is is a mishmash of uh, a lot of different things and um i don't know uh, like I'm, I'm heavily influenced by anything from the 70s uh and Eric is like a singer-songwriter, Neil Youngish kind of guy, Craig comes from this 9-inch nails background and Joel is an old punk guy, you know. So um I, I I feel like we we blur a lot of lines uh from an influence standpoint. So I think there's something in our music that would uh I think a lot of a, a lot of people can relate to. Like they can find something in it that they're like, yeah, okay, I see what you guys are doing not going to buy your record but i can see what you're doing <laughs> you <know? laughs> that is funny
1: how about that road trip rocker song guitar heavy that uh, sweet highway mile song track number 2 i believe um
3: that came about that came about in a much uh, similar fashion all all of these songs were written kind of in the same time period so it's it's very much a reflection of uh just where our heads are like you know we're all very uh, um uh, I don't know. I, I don't want to use the word sensitive, but you know, we're all we're all like music to us is is our lifeblood, you know. So when we write something, it's 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 a deeply personal thing, I think, for all of us. And so this record is definitely a, a good representation of where we currently were and are, I guess, as a band and and people. And that was just another one. Eric's lyrics are. Um, uh, I, I think it was. I could be wrong, but I think it was born from a, like a road trip he took with his son and uh, kind of gave him that fever again on getting on the road a little bit. Um, Sweet highway mile, you know, it's, there's just something about being on a a road trip, you know, whether you're playing music or you're just driving across the country with your wife or kids, you know, it's, we we all love being on the road, the four of us. We don't get to do it because we all got, Responsibilities and whatnot, but definitely born from the love of
1: being on the road. Cool. Uh, let's about one more. How about that funky kind of classic rock anthemish one, Honey Dripper?
3: <laughs> so that one actually started out as something completely different. Um, uh, it 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 had almost this dirty disco feel to it. Um, it was very like, and then we have a habit of not really. Um calling a song done until all of us are like 100% in on it and the, the, the way it was in its original dirty disco form was cool but it wasn't quite all the way there it was like three quarters of the way there and we kept saying there's something missing there's something missing and then I can't remember who suggested it I think it might have been Eric he's like what if we slowed it down and kind of made it this desert highway cruising down in a GTO on a desert road with no lights and you're just maybe you're not going 120 maybe you're just you know maybe you're just cruising at about 70 miles an hour and the the wind is blowing and you know you can you can almost taste the sand kind of thing and uh yeah so it we slowed it down and we kind of extended a little bit of uh the other guys will say I, I play a little too much guitar in, in parts of those songs, some extended jams. But um, but yeah, we just kind of we spaced it out a little bit, let it breathe. And it, when we were done, we were like, that's the one. That's the one right there.
1: Tell and, us about uh, your, uh, your release show coming up at Mortimer's on November 25th.
3: Yeah, well, you said it. November 25th, Mortimer's uh, uh, were releasing these uh, songs on vinyl. It's definitely been a labor of love. Our friends in high on stress are going to, uh, share the stage with us. Nate P from, uh, um, he's got a great fishing show. It's, it's like shore lunch, shore lunch or something with Nate P. I'm sorry. I'm really bad with remembering the names of things. Uh, he's going to host the night. We got raffles going on. And of course you can buy our new record.
1: So are you guys going to go on any kind of tour at all to back it up?
3: no plans at the moment um you know uh eric's got three kids at home i've got two teenagers at home and right now that it's not feasible for us i would imagine that we'll we'll be playing some shows here and there just to get out and sell a record or two you know but no plans to hit the road for an extended period of time unless, you know, the Foo Fighters came along and was like, "Hey, you guys want to go on a 35 city tour with us? We'll give you a million bucks a piece." Then we'd we'd rethink our stance.
1: I would imagine. Yeah. I would too. What's your guys socials? of what people want to look you up or check out some shows, pick up the record, that kind of stuff?
3: Yeah, if you just go to the rockfordmules.com, that'll hook you up with everything you need to know. It'll have our Facebook page our Our Insta, as the kids like to say, you know, rockfordmules.com. There are no records available pre-sale at the moment. So um, you'll have to wait till after the show if you don't make it to the show. But uh, I'll link to our Spotify page, YouTube pages, all that good stuff is right there. So the rockfordmules.com.
1: I'd like to take a minute or two to thank the two sponsors of this week's podcast, Mosaic Chrysler Zombrota and the b Club. Big congratulations to Monier, the owner of Mosaic Chrysler, for picking up the Chevy dealership as well in Zombrota. I know for sure I've been rocking and rolling in my black Jeep Cherokee X I got from Mosaic Chrysler. The winter's been pretty easy so far, but we've had a few icy spots. We've been hanging in there with the doggies pretty good. Mosaic Chrysler Zombrota's philosophy is simple, time-saving, hassle-free, fair price. Check out the inventory at CDJR.com to or take the beautiful drive down US 52 to 1900 Roscoe Avenue, Zombrota, Minnesota to visit them in person. Business hours are Monday through Friday, 8 to 6 p.m. and Saturday, 9 to 5 p.m. Closed on Sundays. Check out Mosaic Chrysler Zombroda to today. Enjoy a safe winter season full of adventures and memories out in the open road in a new ride. In the Beatle Club, the BDC 2100, as they call it, one of my favorite bars in the Roseville slash St. Paul, Minnesota area, if not the world. The Beatle Club, located on the Cordocondro B, and Dale's motto is a place for family, place for friends, a place for fun. And that is a stone cold truth. And I cannot wait to rock out this Thursday with Brian K. Johnson and the country rock and roll extraordinary guitar player, Dan Neal, among my favorite people. Natalie Shelley, Dusty, entire bar staff. They're all state of the art cocktail wizards. As of late, my libation of choice is the classic. Screw up! We're there to quote 16-time world champion Rick Flair, tasty little devils, live music, pool table, pull task, toothnet, chess society, bingo, meat raffle, bocce ball, Thursdays, and much, much, much more. b deals got it all. Stop by for a cold one. Today. And also check out the new Pity Q barbecue. Troy's got some great food down there. Check it out. Next up, I speak with Dave Harland about his new album, Christmas Presents. Afterwards, hear the new song Carol of the Bells. I wanted to get this one out before Christmas. But COVID said no. Dave Harland, welcome to the Minnesota Music Shake. How's it going today there, Dave? It's
0: going well. Thanks for having me.
1: Where are you Zooming in from on this fine afternoon?
0: I am Zooming in from Stillwater, Minnesota.
1: Stillwater?
0: That's right.
1: I'm a big fan of P.D. Pappies. I play down there during the summer. What's some of your favorite Stillwater haunts?
0: well uh, yeah i like pappy's a lot of my friends playing cover bands there too so yeah it's a great place but um you know just various yeah i guess i don't have there's not great places for my genre to play here so i play a couple local event venues uh the jx event venue and the loft are a couple places which i have a show coming up at the loft here on this coming sunday so yeah but yeah so it's a good place to live and all good.
1: Absolutely beautiful, for sure. Where do you usually play? So you play like acoustic tap music, cool, like another level of guitar playing, in my opinion. Just difficulty. It's it's really impressive. What are some rooms around the Twin Cities that are pretty open to that type of music?
0: Yeah, I play places like the Astor Cafe, the Three Eighteen Cafe out in Sure. More more kind of listening room type venues. Because um, I'm also a singer songwriter, and I also have a duo with another. Female singer. So, you know, a lot of a mixture of, you know, f- finger picking, acoustic guitar, strummy kind of stuff, singer songwriter stuff, and then the instrumental kind of tap, more intricate stuff. So, you know, more of the listening room kind of venues, so. though.
1: So, I've done music full time for about 20 years or so besides odds and stuff. And so, at listening rooms, that's kind of a, tends to be a little more of a nerve wracking situation. So, if you're doing all this acoustic stuff, how do you keep your brain from just going monkey mind on you?
0: perpetual challenge for sure because uh yeah it's 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 difficult in fact that's a, honestly why i've started doing a lot more collaborations is when you're there solo in that in that environment where all eyes and ears are on you it's it can be nerve-wracking and you and i can get in my own way you know like we're in there and if you're doing kind of more intricate stuff on guitar it's like it's pretty easy to fall off the cliff so you know you just try to be in the moment and and I, I, you know, I think the most thing I can do that's helped me over the last couple decades of doing this sort of thing is the more often I do it, of course, the better that works out. Because otherwise, if, if the nerves creep in just a little bit, it it, it can go off the rails a little bit.
1: <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, but it's all it's it's performance art. So you have to have some of that in there, I, I assume.
0: Yeah, yeah. But it's I, all good. I've just, you know, us musicians are our world's worst critics. So, yeah.
1: That is true there. Um, I remember Paul yep. McCartney would say, "Though the re- he he could play guitar, I and mean, he's excellent. He's written some of the best acoustic guitar songs yep. ever." But he said he couldn't do it live because he just fingers would go to mush the second he'd get in front of people on his acoustic. Oh, I never heard that. Yeah, from what I remember, anyway. So he just stuck yeah, to the bass so he could hammer that out.
0: That's pretty pretty typical too. In fact, yeah, that that makes sense. I actually started as a bass player in rock bands and cover bands Did way you? back when I was a teenager. So that's kind of my roots but then i got addicted to this whole kusa guitar world as a early 20s guy and nice and, you know,
1: man. yeah well you have i watched uh uh i like christmas horror movies of all things i like christmas stuff but there, i just watched a christmas horror movie called christmas presents i'm guessing oh, no. i'm guessing that's not what you were shooting for in your new record
0: it is, isn't. in fact, I Googled something <laughs> about it after the record came out, and I, I, I saw that link to that movie show up, I'm like, oh, my gosh.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's actually a better Christmas horror movie than you'd think. It's pretty good, I think. But, yeah, was, I saw that title, and I'm like, I just watched that
0: movie. <laughs> oh, that's great. I, I, well, I clearly need to watch it, right? <laughs> I'll, I'll put that on the list.
1: Yeah, you might want to switch from your finger picking to more, get that, you know, jackson guitar dude like a heavy metal finger picking thing or whatever while the ghosts are doing their thing
0: there you go sounds good man that's
1: awesome so when did you start tracking this record
0: um let's see what i think when did we do it i think it was july july or august it's actually a blur now but yeah right around then so that was interesting recording in like sweating your brains out recording Christmas songs.
1: <laughs> how do you get yourself in the mind? I've, I'm, I've done it too. I've recorded Christmas songs off season, but how do you get yourself in the Christmas spirit? I mean, you're kind of through instrumentals, you're kind of putting your heart and soul out there, really trying to get in that vibe. How do you get mentally in that, in that space in the middle of summer, living in fricking Stillwater?
0: Yeah, I, th- I think summer it
1: was, party central.
0: Yeah, this is true. I don't know. I just kind of put my mind in the, focus of where I imagined the season we're in now and kind of close the eyes and like, okay, it's Christmas time. And let's, let's play these Christmas songs. Like I'm doing a Christmas gig and, and, uh, yeah, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad to get into it. What, what are some of your, over?
1: okay. What are some of your favorite Christmas albums in general? Like for me, I like the Ray Charles Christmas. I like Roger Whittaker's Christmas. What are some of your overall favorite Christmas records?
0: Uh, I like that Ray Charles one. Um, what, what's it call that George Winston piano record? Winter, I think it's might be called, like Wyndham Hills thing from like thirty years ago or something <laughs> or more. That's really cool. Um, I kind of like some of the female ethereal singer songwriter type ones, like Sarah McLachlan and Sean Colvin and that kind of stuff. Those are always kind of nice in the background around the holidays. Just you know, hearing the dreamy, airy female vocals, so I dig that.
1: Was there any really? Was there any Christmas (laughs) records that were of high, a big influence on you while you created your new Christmas presents record?
0: Honestly, no. (laughs) I just like, okay, what are some classic Christmas songs that I can apply, you know, my style of guitar playing to? And I'm like, and I've been playing a number of these songs in the last, I don't know, I'd say 10 years, even like each December, like doing a gig, and they're like, oh, throw on a Carol LaBelle's or whatever, just a few. Random Christmas songs that I turned into like tap guitar pieces, essentially. And like, oh, this works well for this. And so I was playing those over the years, and it was like, okay, a lot of you know, I would just hear each each season, like for the last nearly ten years, like, hey, you you need to make a Christmas record. I'm like, do I though? And then I'm like, then finally, you know, you hear that enough over the years, like, you know what? So this past summer, I got think I got to a bunch of light. You know what? I should make that Christmas record. (laughs) And here we are. And yeah, it was a lot of fun doing it.
1: I was listening to it just before we we got on this Zoom, and uh, I was just curious how you went about doing your arrangements. Like, how do you go about your buildups, and how do you, how do you what's your creative process? Like putting your own spin on these classic songs, like "Carol the Bells" or "Away in the Manger," "God Rest You Merry Gentlemen," that kind of thing.
0: Well, you know, I guess first of all, I mean, I played a lot of different some various open tunings on the piece of guitar, not to get too deep in the weeds, but like, so, you know, I kind of find the tuning I like and just start messing with the melody of the song and figuring out, you know, harmonies and things that are going to work with that to company. And it's it just kind of evolves. You just kind of play with it and mess with it and just keep doing it for, you know, you know, a few weeks essentially. And then in this case, you know, I've been kind of, I've had a few years to kind of have those things evolve um so you just keep working on it and i've kind of noticed a pattern with whenever i'm doing it pieces like that is like i didn't notice at first but also i realized as i look back at these songs like oh this is funny i always end up writing my own original bridge section somewhere in every one of these songs and 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 those are like of course the part i enjoy playing the most but uh but it just it's a way of stamping it and making it mine you know and so yeah i i I don't know you just it's just kind of slowly built up it's I'm very, um, it comes very much from a place of like intuition and emotion of getting in that mindset versus logically thinking about how should I do this? Because I don't really approach music that way. I I definitely more feel it and, and it's a lot of some trial and error and stumbling on what strikes me as cool, you know?
1: Did you have to worry about any kind of music royalties with these songs? Are they all uh public domain
0: they were all public domain other than, which one was it? it Might have been do you hear what i hear i can't even remember now one of them was wasn't so you so when you release the record you have to go on to um, a song licensing website and you pay a fee to license it for like x amount of distribution like how many records are you releasing into the world Physically, and then they you know they charge you accordingly, and you know it's not even a big deal. You pay them their sixty dollars or whatever, and and you're free to use it then. And then, of course, if there is any publishing made off it, that songwriter gets that piece, you know. But I was running into an interesting thing with Carol the Bells because that thing, if you just Google it, it says it's public domain. But I was posting some stuff about it, like little video links to it uh, on social media recently. And they were trying to shut it down, saying that it was, you know, copywritten material. And then I uh, filed a dispute. And, like, within two minutes, they cleared it up. Because what I found out about Carol the Bells is the music is public domain, but the, uh, the lyrics are copywritten. And I'm like, this is an instrumental version of this song, so copyright does not apply, blah, blah, blah. And then it, and then it was, in, like, Europe, you know, like, your dispute is approved, and boom, everything's public and they can have it up
1: on Facebook or wherever. Good for you. They try to juice it any way they can in this business, you know, so I'm glad you you stood up for yourself. Out of the tracks for this record from Christmas Presents, what was the trickiest puzzle you had to deal with here, a song that you had your heart set on to get on this record, and what was the trickiest one to adapt from the original or whatever you came from to your style?
4: Oh...
0: it's a toss-up between um, Carol the Bells and God Rest You, Merry Gentlemen. Strictly from a standpoint that those are the most difficult to play, to execute all those parts. So there's a lot going on there. And so that, you know, but, you know, we got it there. But it was, you know, those, those ones took a little extra practice, you know.
1: Gotcha. My mother the other,
0: other one played oh, pretty easily. Yeah, I was just saying the other ones float out fairly easily once I kind of had them under my fingers, you know.
1: My mother plays in a British brass band trumpet or whatever, and I went to her Christmas concert, and the the local guy, I believe he was from Clear Lake, Wisconsin, did a British brass arrangement of God Rescue Mary Gentleman, and it was literally like a rock and roll version of it. So that thing... You can pull that any kind of direction you want. I've never heard like a rockin' version of it. So, uh, oh, that, that's pretty interesting. I've
0: heard, I've heard that is really cool. That would be fun to hear. Um I heard I've heard like metal versions of it. Really, you know, like just yeah, and it was it was cool. You know, just full on guitars. You know, like playing that melody, but then ripping guitar solos. And yeah, you can kind of. I think that song works for practically any genre. You can adapt it.
1: Yeah, it's so catchy. Um, yeah. For people that are are new to the finger tap style of guitar playing, who would you say would be your Mount Rushmore of finger tap style guitar players?
0: Michael Hedges. He was. Uh, are you familiar with him at all? L-
1: a little bit. Said so be all. That'd be the whole Mount Rushmore. The one guy.
0: Him and Billy McLaughlin, which is a local guy. Yeah. A, a friend of mine and I. saw so I. I don't know, it, was, it was early '90s. I was introduced pretty simultaneously to Billy McLaughlin and, and Michael Hedges through some other acoustic guitar playing friends. And I was like, Holy crap, man, how, how are they doing that? What is going on there? There's like two parts of the brain working here. <laughs> and I'm at the time, I'm a bass player in a rock band. I'm like, I gotta learn how to do that.
4: <laughs> I and, gotcha.
0: And I'm very addicted to it, you know, and I just, and I, you know, and I was a songwriter already, so I did play acoustic guitar a little bit, but I was a pretty basic. Strum your guitar, sing your song, kind of guy, you know? And, uh, but yeah, those, the, those, to this day, those two individuals have been the biggest influence on my guitar playing for sure. No question.
1: Cool. Um, what's your. Let's say if people want to come to one of these shows, I don't know when this will be out, though. I record way in advance, but I'll try to get up for yeah. Christmas. you got one of the 318 in Excelsior on December 13th and The Loft on December 17th. What are the shows yeah. you play that people can look up? Do you have a website or a Facebook or something like that they can check you out and come see you play? Yeah,
0: yeah. David Harlan Music on Facebook, uh, davidharlanmusic.com for the website. Um, so, yeah, I, got, I have those shows going on, and then we have some out-of-town ones happening just in this next week here this is kind of the, the push week for a bunch of stuff but then we're doing a uh, holiday show me and a singer friend um december 21st we're at the astor cafe um so that should be a pretty sweet night um so that might that by, by the time people hear this you might have it out by then so um that'd be great yeah the 21st that you know and that happens to be the winter celsius that night so that'd be that'd be kind of cool so it'd be real vibey kind of evening Hopefully there's some light snow falling behind us out the window, and you know,
1: yeah, but not like after the Bruce Springsteen show last winter, and it was glare ice, white knuckle drive home.
0: No, we don't want that. We don't want any of this. Just just enough to make it look w- w- wintry, but safe. I gotcha. Yeah, so that yeah, that's pretty much it. So I got a bunch of shows up until you know right before Christmas, and then and then then things are quiet. So, and then it's on to the, on to the new year.
1: Drew DeLakes joins the podcast to talk the new DeLakes album, Heaven is a Silent Disco. Drew DeLakes, welcome to the Minnesota Music Shakedown. How's it going today there, Drew?
2: Good, good. How are you doing? I'm
1: doing great, man. Where are you zooming in from today, my friend?
2: Right now, I'm in the Powderhorn area of Minneapolis, Minnesota, and uh, trying to stay warm. (laughs)
1: Well, it's kind of nice out there today. I'm going to take my dog's hiking, I think, after this.
2: Oh, yeah? Where do, you, where do you usually go hiking? I
1: go in St. Paul, sometimes at Reservoir Woods, Como area, you know, whatever.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. Totally cool.
1: We're here uh, talking with Drew about his new record, Heaven is a Silent Disco. And Drew, can you kind of tell us your story? So I, I never met you before. Are you from here? How'd you get in this type of music? And how'd this album get started?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I was born... Uh in Minneapolis, you know, I was in South Minneapolis for a while. I moved out to the suburbs with my parents for a uh, majority of my of my uh young life, but uh fortunately by doing that I was able to meet our drummer Ben who's who worked extensively on this album doing all the drum mixing and recording and just like a lot of production and mixing help along the way, but yeah, so I uh started there. My mom played in a lot of bands, so she kind of introduced me to music at a really early age, which was So nice, so fortunate for that. So she taught me guitar. She got me into some orchestral stuff. Like I played cello for a really long time and all sorts of things like that. But uh, I decided I wanted to go into music. So I went to the U of M to start start studying music and met our uh, backup vocalist and organist, Elizabeth Roddy there. And we're still friends to this day. I'm currently watching her cat. (laughs) But (laughs) What's the name of the cat? Tomasa. Tomasa. She's very sweet and very chatty at like 6 a.m. <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm
1: looking at my cat right now, and yes, I know when it's time to be fed. That's for damn sure.
2: Oh yeah, do the cats and dogs get along pretty well?
1: Oh yes, I have two therapy dogs. That's my day job. Besides music at nighttime and podcast stuff, I would say fair to partly cloudy. Um, she rules the roost. <laughs> she rules the roost, and they kind of do whatever she says. Um, the little pup, the two-year-old dog, tries to mess with her here and there, and that generally doesn't go very good
2: yeah the pops learn their, their place <laughs> yes
1: yes absolutely yeah. um so when did you start your band
2: yeah so we started oh my gosh i think well I, I had just come back from a a trip to sweden i was feeling really really inspired to write music that was just supposed to be jubilant and happy and full of love and um The the friend I had mentioned earlier, Ben had just come back from Texas and was living in Minneapolis. I started meeting a few of his friends through him. They're all fantastic jazz musicians. So I was like, oh my gosh, finally for the like first time in years, I'm able to get a band together. So it was it was around mid 2019, I want to say, somewhere around there that we started. We we kind of wrote an album. Pretty much before we even started rehearsing, I had most of the music recorded and and like parts written out and produced and stuff. But then uh, we didn't actually get a chance to start recording it until drum roll please, early March of 2020. So <laughs> perfect, yeah, great timing, right? <laughs> Absolutely.
1: How did you wind up in Sweden and didn't and didn't come back a death metal player?
2: Yeah. <laughs> and have a font that looks like a bunch of like tree limbs and roots and things like that yeah. that's indecipherable. Yeah, no, I don't know how that didn't happen. Well, I, I had a friend who lived out there and so uh it, it was like fun going back and forth just visiting and getting to know the culture, learn the language and stuff like that. So yeah, it was it was super fun, but um just yeah, burned down kind of
1: just down a couple churches, that's it. You yeah. Came right back. <laughs> Where oh do you God. track your albums at?
2: Uh, in the very room I am speaking to you, in, actually, so yeah, it, I, we do all the recording ourselves. Me, me, and me and Ben Ehrlich uh, have been recording music and bands for, since we were in like middle school and high school together, and so we've just like very slowly, very gradually learned how to build up our, our arsenal of like microphones and compressors and EQ and all that stuff like that. We're we're getting a lot of. Um, of uh hardware that we're using and stuff so you know over like 10 15 years we've just gathered enough equipment to be able to do it ourselves and we really get obsessive over it which is fun so we both both share that joy which is nice so yeah
1: when recording this record heaven is a silent disco Why i got a kick out of it and i have a bunch of notes here and i'll ask you about certain songs um it really hit on a lot of uh, some of the artists I like. Like is it, I've, oh, I yeah. like a lot of like 80s and 70s R&B and b and disco oh, kind yes. of stuff. I mean, I, I perform a lot of it. And so that's why I got a kick out of this one to have you on for sure. Um, but yeah. who were who are your influences putting together this record or just in general?
2: Yeah, I mean, well, with the, with the first album, it was very of Montreal very of Montreal like that they're like my bread and butter go-to band all the time just cuz i think that kevin barnes is an absolute genius at music production but uh secretly the other the other artist who inspired a lot of that album was alice coltrane and just like the spiritual free jazz movement of the the 60s, 70s, even like, yeah, mostly 60s, 70s. But just a lot of those free impro- improvisations. I, I tried to make a little bit of room for that. Since the band really is comprised of a lot of people who do improvisation, I was like, yeah, let's give them some room to to show off those skills. I want to hear that type of stuff anyway. Let's just go at it. So the first album was a lot of that. But with, this, with Heaven is a Silent Disco, uh, we we kind of got a little bit more into the new wave type genre, and I, I've become absolutely obsessed with the B-52s to like a nearly unhealthy degree. But
1: <laughs> Okay, to me, let me stop you there. Well, then, if I just know Love Shack or whatever saw their Saturday Night Live performances, what would be a quintessential B-52s record a layman B-52s listener should check out on Spotify or whatever?
2: Song for a future generation. (laughs) It's it's absolutely ridiculous. They the the lyrics are essentially like, wanna be the something, the something thing, wanna be the something, something, something. Let's meet and have a baby now. It's just like that on repeat. And then like it's interspersed with them, essentially doing like one of those kind of like eighties like dating show things you'd see on TV, like hey, my name's Drew DeLakes and I live in Minneapolis and attempt to cook with acetita and stuff like that. Oh my God. <laughs> it's insane. It's like one of the most hysterical musical recordings I've ever heard in my life.
1: I know they've been around forever and they're very respected, you know. But here in in yeah. Minnesota, mostly known for Love Shack and stuff. So yeah, I, I I'm glad you brought. I'm gonna check them out because I like a lot of that new wave stuff too. I went through a big Smiths thing last year. Oh yeah, Plus, yeah. I listened to every single Smiths record. The Cure, uh, not what's it? The other one, Depeche Mode. Yeah, I love all that shit. Yeah.
2: My dad loves Depeche Mode, so it was fun listening to that growing up. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Um, so let me ask you about a few of the tracks on the record. You can tell us kind of the yeah. story behind the song, how you wrote it or whatever. Um, how about Laughing as a Symbol, that song? I thought it was kind of it was funky, catchy. It was kind of like old school pop, in my opinion.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that one right there, we I, I wrote that as a challenge to myself at first, just musically speaking, because it essentially only has three chords. I mean, there's like extensions and things going off of it, but it's essentially just C and D major with like a little E major chord thrown in every so often. That just loops. That's the entire thing. So um, it's kind of old school pop in the sense that pop music kind of tries to do a lot with very little. And so I was trying to limit myself with chord progressions and just Use production as the main thing that carries this song along, and so it was really fun to to limit myself in that way because I feel like it expanded uh, my horizons on production quite a bit. But uh, that one that one's very much like a, a Carolyn Polichek, uh, um uh Gosh, Chairlift. That was the band I was thinking of. Chairlift type inspired song and it was really fun because we were able to have one of my uh good friends avery uh wong who i also met in college with elizabeth uh he was in town while our our main keys player was in chicago for a little bit for a year or two and so he he was throwing down some of the the keyboard and synth tracks on it and it was really fun because he he totally loves that type of music as well so he knew exactly what to do um but in terms of the lyrics, like the inspiration and the story behind it, it's essentially for uh, me and my my fiancé who is uh, currently making something that smells absolutely delicious in our kitchen behind me right now. But it's, it's kind of just like a, you know, discussion of queer love who's like, of like what are you allowed to express and what's normalized within a society that's like, you know, fairly open to the idea of same-sex marriage, but then also like maybe not necessarily comfortable with the idea of celebrating it in certain places. So it's kind of like a, like an F you love will carry on type song, but yeah, that's kind of what it's about.
1: Hell yeah, man. How about number three? This has got a good title. Not so, so, so anymore.
2: Yeah, yeah. That so one, I thought that, that one,
1: awesome. I, want, I want to throw this out there because I liked that song and I was I thought it was like had a Beach Boys feel mixed nice. with Wilco because it kind of artsy. <laughs> it was catchy and then the guitar reminded me of NXS.
2: Oh man, NXS was some of the best bass lines out there, I'll have to say.
1: Hell yeah, man. Was that the, the, oh, yeah. the beer? Their last name was like Beer or Dub Beer or something like that, the bass player guys.
2: Oh, At wait, NXS? really?
1: I think so. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know I'm that. I'm from Wisconsin, awesome. so I remember the word beer for sure. Oh well, uh, so yeah. Tell naturally. us the story behind that song. Was I way off in those references, or no?
2: No, that was perfect. I mean, that's that's awesome. That one that one was fun because we I I had come up with the I, the line for it first. There's there's like three layered bass parts that start off the song and kind of go out throughout the the whole chorus. And I wanted to try to build something off of it, and so I was able to like eventually come up with the melody and. All that, which was really fun. But I had no idea what type of style I wanted the song to sound like. And most of the time, I'm the one who's just like, you know, in this office studio, just like plunking away at random things and just testing out how different instruments sound. But for this one, we were able to, I was able to just bring a chart to the band and say, like, all right, here are the chords, here's the form of it, just like go off, let's see what happens. And it very naturally kind of turned into almost like a pop punk song. <laughs> just with like the the type of like heavier guitars that go on in the chorus and uh regardless though i mean like being that this band has a lot of electronic sounds happening and a lot of production happening you know there's still programmed drum machines and there's still layered bass parts and there's synth bells and pianos and random harmonies going on but um what's nice about that song is that everyone kind of came up with their part on their own which was which isn't always the case. And I think it turned out to be one of our poppiest songs we've ever done. And people tend to really like it, which is exciting. But um sort of similar lyrics. That one that one's just more about like I mean, I think a lot of the the themes from this album are just like, as we get older what role does giving up play in our lives? And I don't want it to play any part in our lives. I think we should just keep pushing through and just like doing stuff and being creative. And that's kind of always my philosophy is just like always being more creative than the year prior. And always trying to work harder on uh, expressing myself more musically each year. So that's kind of like the main premise of the, of the song.
1: Outstanding. I'm going to ask about one more. Yeah. Number 11, pleasantness. Yeah. And I thought that was a fun, cool tune. And the the artist I heard in there was
2: Rockwell. Oh, Rockwell! Wait, tell me about Rockwell. I don't think I somebody's heard them
1: watching before. me. Michael Jackson and Rockwell. Oh. I heard that reference in there. I swore I did.
2: <laughs> no, yeah, I, I need to listen to Rockwell then. Oh my gosh! Okay, this is my favorite part about talking with all like these people that just know so much about music is every time I'm like, Oh great. I get to write down five bands and become like absolutely fixated on them for the next year so. All right. <laughs> Rockwell. Good. Yeah. What's the song Pleasantness? <laughs> yeah. Pleasantness. Oh yeah. Pleasantness. Uh, that was the first song that we recorded and wrote for the, for heaven is a silent disco. Our friend Matt Holmes, who uh, did all the mastering for the album. He works over at wild sound studios and he also teaches at Hennepin tech and Eden Prairie and, He's got a he's got a engineering recording class that um, every spring they need to have a live band come in and record their tracks. You know, so we just start with like drums and bass. We get guitar and keyboards, and we do a day of vocals and things like that. And it's so fun because every year it just pushes me to have to try to write a song that's that's producible for these kids. <laughs> I shouldn't say kids or college students, but like. Um, We, I I wanted to write something quick. I wanted to write something that was fun and upbeat and hopeful and kind of used a lot of pointillism for the production style, which you can hear a lot in the ending guitar parts. But it was a lot about just escaping the solitude and imprisonment of, of lockdown and the COVID lockdown era, which was fun. But also it ended up being about a lot of things, but it started off originally being about my desire to want to tour with the band just because we all get along really well. We all love to travel and we're all just like dedicated to the music. So we want to, we want to tour. And so it was kind of uh, an ode to that. But then also as I met my fiance around that time, we also learned that we travel really well together. And that's a huge like part of our lives that we really care about. So it also became about that, you know, before I even realized it, but um, yeah, the song was just kind of like it was me trying to get a little bit more of a present bass part there's more bass layers there's a lot of like fun percussion and goofy like vocal noises and yeah it's just supposed to like kind of be chill groovy and have like 150 plus tracks in the recording so yeah
1: <laughs> nice what's your guys's social media stuff or yours if people want to check out this record your previous record or come see some upcoming shows
2: yeah, absolutely. We've got uh, we've got a show coming up at Seventh Street Entry on January 11th. That's a Thursday. I'll be with my former roommate Alina Myra, who's doing a release show there. So that'll be super fun. They'll be absolutely jam packed. Get your tickets now. Do it. Uh, if you want to listen to our albums, it's D apostrophe Lakes, and that is anywhere you want to listen to music. Whether it's I don't know Spotify or going to Cheapo or going under a rock and doing something there. I don't know. But, like, we also have a, we also have social media uh, handles that are all just Drew D. Lakes. And, yeah, find me on X. <laughs> just so cringy X. to say. But mostly <laughs> on Instagram. That's where I'm mostly on.
1: <laughs> Bringing home this week's episode of the Minnesota Music Shakedown is a track by one of the featured guests this week, Lakes, with their song, Not So So Anymore. Thanks to Andrew Crowley from Organica Recording for assisting in post-production of this podcast. This has been the Minnesota Music Shakedown. If you'd like to toss a buck or two in the podcast tip jar, please go to patreon.com forward slash Music. If you like what I do, check out my website marksterrymusic.com. For artist or song submissions, please email me at marksterrymusic at gmail.com or message me on social media. Thanks for tuning in. Till next time. I
5: would choose defense against the trials of his loss and blinding soul but they get me on my feet every time